Good morning, Four Oaks. Glad that you're here with us. Wherever you are in your home, let's prepare now our hearts to worship, to sing, to call upon our God. Let's worship him together in this, uh, wherever we're in your, in your house there. <laughs> and let's draw near now to the God who, who draws near to us. So the scripture invites us, it calls us to run now to the rock of our salvation, to our, our refuge. This is what the scripture says. I'd love for you to read it along with me. Put it on the, on the screen below us. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. So now let's come to him.
Good morning, church family. Welcome to Four Oaks. Maybe this is uh, your first time joining in. Maybe you've, you've not been with us even physically on a Sunday, but you're just tuning in. We welcome you. We're glad that you're here. We want to make no mistake about why we have gathered, though we gather this way, but why we gather for worship. And that is to give praise to the God who has graciously extended an invitation for us as his children, as his people, to come and to stand in his presence and to receive strength and mercy in our struggle, to sing songs of praise of our God's unfailing love. And so we want to continue in our time of worship, looking to the God who doesn't change. We're calling on him to to give us hearts and eyes of faith to see beyond our our present circumstances, present difficulties, diseases, disorientation, to see that God is in control. God is the God of every generation. He is the one who sees the beginning from the end. He is unchanging. Though our world quickly changes and shifts, around us, God is steadfast. And so let me encourage us with this truth from the Psalms. It says, of old, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. You are the same, and your years have no end. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are
because of the immeasurable grace that's been shown to us in Jesus Christ. and This is what we need to remind ourselves of week after week, day after day, that though we were in an impossible situation, the Lord rescued us, rescued our souls, and brought us into his presence. And this was only done by the work of Christ. And so whether we see our sin this week evidenced in and attitudes or actions maybe bumping over each other in our, our homes and our bumping against each, our rhythms with each other and frustrations or, or maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe in the moments of, of silence, the moments of loneliness, despair, escape, maybe the fear of what tomorrow brings. Let's bring our fears Let's bring ourselves, our hearts to the Lord. He does, he does not want us to carry the shame or pride. But as we run to Christ, he is welcoming us. He is forgiving us. And so he delights to show us mercy, church. And in this time of waiting, may our hearts not grow weary, but may we run to the Savior. May we wait upon him his salvation, and for him to restore hope and truth. And so I thought this scriptural prayer would be an encouragement to our souls. It's Psalm 130, and I'd like to just, just pray it over us. It says, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, would you hear my voice? Let my ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Amen. So let's hope in him this morning. Meets my gaze, I stand redeemed. 
tune my heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me
morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here. So glad that you were tuning in wherever you happen to be right now. Um, hey, we know a lot of you, this might be your first time tuning in, or maybe you've connected with a family, friend, or neighbor, um, but we would love to connect with you. So make sure to fill out our digital connect card. Another thing you can do is we had a session yesterday that we call Four Oaks and 40. And it was a time where I just answered questions about Four Oaks and just gave a little backdrop of who we are as a church family. And if you missed that time, no big deal. Just go to our Facebook page or our church website, fouroakscalarn.com, and you can listen to it there. Um, secondly, we're always looking for ways during this season where we can serve our neighbors and our community around us. And here's just a couple of opportunities to put on your radar. We are partnering with Second Harvest Mission um, for an initiative where we are going to be serving meals to families in need in our community. And so next Thursday, that's April 23rd from 10 to 1, we're going to be passing out meals. And we need some volunteers to help us do that. So again, go to the Four Oaks uh, Clarence site, click on the hub and ways to volunteer, and you can get more information there. A second way to help us serve and to help our community um, is by frequenting our friends down here at Maple Street Biscuit. They've been running an initiative, a program to help families in need as well by providing free food. And we just want to support them, encourage them during this time. So make sure to stop by. They have drive-through service and they'll, um, they'll take care of you there. We really want to support them in this season. Thirdly, you need to know that although our doors are closed, um, our ministry hearts and uh, programs are wide open. So if you go to fouroakscalarn.com, you're going to find a whole host of things that we have going on during the week for students, children, adult Bible studies. One thing in particular you want to note is that we have several new women's Bible studies starting up this week. And we would love for you to jump on board. There's still time. So check out the church website. And ladies, we'd love to have you participate in one of those studies. And lastly, we just want to thank um, all of you for your incredible generosity during this season and your faithful giving. So you can, um, you can give this morning by texting to the number provided there. You can go to the hub as well to give. And please know that um, this allows us to continue to serve our community, to serve and minister to our church family. Um, we have um, jump-started a new giving platform called Planning Center. And this is a great time if you've been giving by, by, by cash or check to get on our digital platform and, and set up things that way. So anyway, anything that we can do for you as, as a pastor or elder team, please let us know. Fill out one of our care request cards and we will get in touch with you. Let me pray for us this morning as we get ready to open God's word. Lord Jesus, thank you for the fact that even though we are bound, humanly speaking, by our circumstances, your word is never bound. Um, and so your spirit is never bound. And so we're asking that you would go before us today, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word. And Lord, we pray that this would be a season where Four Oaks would make a deep impact and imprint in our community as we serve those around us with the good news of Jesus. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hi, church family. My name is Sarah Machado. Today we will be reading from Genesis 30, verses 25 through 43. As soon as Rachel had borne Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, 
If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later, when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees, and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the striped, and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart, and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they may breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's, and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, church family. Well, good morning. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Scott, and I'm one of the pastors here. Our lead pastor, he is away from the pulpit and to enjoy some much-needed rest for certain. Uh, so it's my privilege to open up God's Word with you today. But before I do, I just want to begin. This is my first chance to kind of interact with you a little bit. Uh, I just want to tell you how grateful I am for you as a church family. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your encouragement. I've heard so many stories of how you're serving one another, how you're bringing meals to one another, how you're texting and FaceTiming and Zooming and calling and all, using all sorts of technology in order to be able to speak a kind word and to pray for one another and to build each other up in the Lord and to do the best that you can to trust in the Lord in the midst of all the craziness and the chaos. You know, Jesus says that, the world will know that we are disciples by our love for one another. You have certainly displayed that love over the past month. And I want to thank you. You guys are amazing. Now, for those of you who are pretty new to Four Oaks, our practice is typically to walk through one book of the Bible at a time. And so we've been studying the book of Genesis for about a year now. And we find ourselves at the end of chapter 30. And at first glance, I mean, this passage is pretty bizarre, isn't it? I mean, how in the world are we supposed to take 
visual impression mating processes and apply it to our lives today. I love what one commentator said about the story. He said, this unit is difficult for exposition because it reports a unique event and it does not express any theological point. Like, yay, awesome. This is going to be a great passage to preach on. You know, we can be tempted, though, to to skip verses like these that we don't understand at first glance. But, But let me encourage you. If you're patient, if you're waiting on the Lord, if you, if you ask the Spirit for help, He will speak to you as He has done for me this past week. And I think this is one of the beauties of preaching verse by verse through the whole counsel of God's Word, rather than just kind of hopping and skipping to our favorite verses. Instead, by not skipping the, the hard stuff or even some of the strange and bizarre stuff, God has a way of opening our eyes to see his amazing faithfulness, his steadfast love, and his manifold wisdom in every aspect of our lives, including mundane things like taking care of sheep and goats. And so, without further ado, let's get started. Today's sermon is entitled, The Lord is My Helper. And we're going to go through this, we're going to see this theme really woven through three movements in the story. So movement one is the situation, movement two is the negotiation, and then movement three is the salvation. But before we jump in, let me just begin by praying. Let's pray. Let's bring our hearts to the Lord together. God, we just want to pray right now that all of the distractions that are around us, all of the things that, that pull us away from you, that you would remove those things. The things that cause anxiety, um, would you remove that? When we get frustrated or, 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 or we, get, we get angry, God, would you help us? Um, those things that maybe keep us from focusing on you, would you just remove all of those distractions? And would you help us to listen? Would you help us to learn? Would you speak to us? When all of those voices around us are speaking other things to us, would you help us to listen to your voice right here? Right now, would we hear that you are our helper in the midst of trouble? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, the situation. If you remember from our study of Genesis, I mean, Jacob is a very flawed character. He has to leave home running for his life because he's deceived his brother Esau, and Esau now wants to kill him. And he leaves with absolutely nothing. But in God's grace, God speaks to Jacob and he appears to him at Bethel and he says, I'm going to bless you with people. I'm going to bless you with possessions. I'm going to bless you with property. And as we learned last time, Jacob now does have people. In fact, he's got four wives and 12 kids, 11 sons and a daughter. And as verse 25 says, Rachel, his, his real true love, has finally born her first son, named Joseph, and Jacob wants to go home. I mean, he's got a lot of catching up to do. It's been 14 years, and he needs to introduce his parents to his wife, and his wife, and his wife, and his other wife, and then all of his kids, right? I mean, he wants to go home, but there is a problem, and it is a big problem, and his name is Laban. If you remember Jacob, he's been known for his deception, but he has now found his match in his uncle, and now his father-in-law, Laban. Laban is not a nice guy at all. In fact, Jacob was tricked by Laban and he had to work for 14 years to marry the love of his life, Rachel, which was a ridiculously high price for a bride in that day. And then at the end of these 14 years, Jacob has nothing. 
He owns nothing. He's, he's destitute. He's penniless. And he, and he needs to provide for his family. He, and he wants to go home to do it. But you see, there's more than that that's going on in this text. You can't see it at first glance. But, but let's look again at what Jacob says. He says to Laban, he says, Send me away that I may go to my home and my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. Now, why would he ask for his wife and his kids? I mean, doesn't he already have permission to leave with his family? Well, No, he doesn't. In fact, in those days, if a master gave you a wife and then you had kids, and then later you gained your freedom, your wife and your children could not go with you. They were still under the control of the master. You see, Laban was not a father-in-law. He was a slave master, and Jacob was his slave. Jacob was helpless. He was completely stuck with no way out. And as Moses is telling this story to the Israelites... They would have understood exactly what that felt like. See, in fact, the language that is used by Jacob here is the same exact language that Moses uses in the Exodus story. After the Israelites have been in slavery for 400 years, and Moses is told by God to go to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. That is the same verb that Jacob uses here. Send me away that I may go. And then he says, for you know the service that I have given you. That's the same verb service that's used in Exodus 1.14 and describing the Israelites when it says, in all their work, Egypt ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now, if you think like I'm I'm being too hard on Laban, fast forward to Genesis chapter 31, which we're going to look at in more detail next week. Verse 43 says this, Laban is telling Jacob, he says, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. He is an egomaniac just like Pharaoh. He sees that Jacob is his slave and that everything that Jacob has is not Jacob's. It is his. And Jacob is absolutely powerless. He is under the thumb of his master Laban. And even as the longing for home stirs within his heart, Jacob is helpless to get away from Laban's scheming power. Have you ever felt helpless like that? Like you're stuck and you can't get out? You know, maybe it's a family member who has been extremely hard on you and you just can never seem to measure up to their expectations. Or maybe you felt helpless when someone has taken advantage of your generosity and your hard work. Or maybe you've been in an abusive relationship and you just can't seem to get out. Or even if you are out, that, that person always has a, has a, a fear that's, that's, that's casting a shadow upon you. Like, like they're still driving you and shaping all the ways that you take action today. Maybe you have someone, maybe you yourselves are enduring great suffering due to chronic illness that that just can't seem to be healed? Or maybe you're stuck in a pattern of sin and you're, you're wondering, when will I ever be free from this? Or maybe your feelings of helplessness are due to the situation that you find yourself in right now related to the coronavirus. How am I going to get these bills paid? I don't know what to do for my family. I am stuck. When we are feeling helpless, there are two ways to view our circumstances. And one way is this. Satan wants to whisper into your ears, God doesn't care for you. 
He is not in control. He is not here, and he's not coming back. He has forgotten you. You know, we are tempted to make a straight line from our circumstances to the character of God and to find that God is not good. But there is a second way of seeing. There's a second way that God invites us into. He wants us to trust that he is at work behind the scenes, that he will not forget Jacob and he will not forget you. He is our helper in the midst of trouble. I love what J. Ligon Duncan says about this passage. I think it can be an encouragement to you right now. In every scene, in every situation, in every phase, in every age of life, God's providence and his help is there, surrounding us, going before us, undergirding us, providing for us. And even when there are things that we cannot figure out, things that we cannot understand, things which are hard to bear, we trust that God is actually working in and through and behind and above and below those things. So when we can't see, we are invited to trust that God's help is on the way. Now, I wish I could say that things get better for Jacob right away, but in fact, they don't. They even get worse. And that leads us to negotiation. You see, after Jacob requests from the master to leave, a negotiation begins. And like any negotiation, begin to see the character of both of these men revealed. Laban starts out, I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. So name your wages and I'll give it to you. See, Laban doesn't want Jacob to go, but it's not because he wants to be near his kids or his grandkids. No, he wants to be near more money. He cares for no one but himself. You ever had a boss like that? Someone who uses people to get money? Well, that's Laban. We also learn that while Laban perceives that the Lord is blessing Jacob, it's actually through some form of witchcraft or idolatry that he discovers this. And so instead of worshiping God or honoring Jacob, Laban worships himself. He worships his riches and even Satan to get what he wants. He is evil. Now Jacob is becoming the opposite of that. He does agree with Laban that the Lord has blessed wherever he turns, but unlike Laban, who is self-centered, Jacob is growing in humility and honesty. He says, please let me get paid so that I may provide for my family. See, Jacob loves people, and he uses money to provide for those whom he loves. He said, I just want to provide for my family. So once again, Laban counters, I own you, Jacob. I own everything that's before you. But because I'm a good master, what shall I give to you? He reasons. Well, Jacob responds in verse 31. You shall not give me anything. He says, I don't want anything from you, Laban. I don't want to depend upon man. I don't want to depend upon you. I want to depend upon God. And then he offers up this deal to Laban. He says, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all the flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted and, uh, uh, excuse me, speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the speckled and spotted among the goats. And they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. If, er, if every, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. 
A lot of speckled and spotted. That's a tongue twister for you guys. Now, what's the, what's the deal here? See, last time Jacob worked for the maximum amount of years to get a wife. He worked seven years, and then Laban doubled it. And here this time, Jacob wants himself, he, he once again puts himself at a disadvantage. And in this part of the world, the majority of the sheep were white, and the majority of the goats were black. And so even though the normal price for a worker would have been to get about 20% of the flocks, Jacob asks for roughly five, maybe the max is 10% of the flocks. And not only that, but these were the rejects. These were the ones that people considered unimportant. And on top of that, Jacob says, hey, I've chosen this group of flocks so that I can't deceive you. All you have to do is just glance at them and you can figure out whether I'm cheating you. In other words, it is a deal that you cannot refuse. When Jacob hears it, or excuse me, when Laban hears it, He just can't believe it. I mean, Jacob is offering to take the rejects of the flock to work for practically nothing and then to take care of all of Laban's flocks that have been blessed by his shepherding over the past 14 years. It is a deal that he cannot refuse. And so he says, absolutely. Now, Jacob, on the other hand, he is he's a hopeful man, too. You see, it's going to start small. But at least Jacob can finally have a business of his own. At least he can can call something that's his. He's been working for 14 years for free. And now he can finally provide for his family. And he gets to do it with honesty, with integrity. He gets to be above board. It's a new characteristic that he's trying out. See, he wants to work hard with honesty and integrity and trust that God reward his labors. He is changing. And so they shake on the agreement, but there is one problem. See, Laban has no intention of keeping his end of the bargain. As we read, Laban secretly steals the sheep and the goats that would have gone to Jacob, and he sends them far away to his sons instead. I mean, think about this. Jacob is left once again with absolutely nothing. I mean, how is he supposed to get spotted and speckled sheep and goats without any spotted and speckled sheep and goats? This is impossible. And Jacob's going, what are you up to, God? What are you doing? The Israelites would have been familiar with this story, too. You see, they were told that God had heard their cries for help, that he would rescue them. But when Moses goes to Pharaoh and he asks for them to let my people go, not only does Pharaoh rejects the request, but he ratchets up the heat upon the Israelites. He says this in Exodus 5. He says, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. They cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Pharaoh is telling the Israelites, I own you. I own your circumstances. I own everything about you. You are mine. He speaks lies to the people of Israel. He says, you are my possession. You are my slave No one else can have you. What about you? Have you been in that spot? You maybe finally have some hope that things are starting to turn around and then actually get worse. Maybe you're you're paying off your debt, then you lose your job. 
Maybe your kids are starting to turn back to the Lord and then they go back again to the world. Maybe you've got this promising treatment for your health and then all of a sudden it stops working. Maybe you see promising steps in your marriage. You're moving closer and then all of a sudden your spouse blows up once again at you. You been there? I mean, what an awful place to be, feeling absolutely overwhelmed. You can't provide for your family. You, you can't conquer the sin that enslaves you. You can't turn that relationship around. You, you can't gain any ground on your health. You can't defeat the dark cloud of depression that is surrounding you. You can't make it another day. Mike Wilkerson, in his book, Redemption, which many of you have read, asks this question. Which is more painful? To live without hope or to catch a glimpse of hope only to have it disappear. Often this is our experience on the eve of redemption. Certainly God is not a fickle redeemer. He is faithful. But if we expect redemption to be mainly about comfort, we may be disappointed when at least for a season it brings more pain. If you're in that spot right now, let me encourage you. Don't lose heart. God does hear you. He will help you. His rescue and his redemption, they are coming. The Apostle Paul, he was in a similar spot as Jacob when he said these words to the Corinthians. He said, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. God says, I love to work in impossible situations. Whatever is dead to you, I want to make alive. I want to bring life into that situation. I want to bring life into that relationship. I want to bring life to your bones when you are feeling so overwhelmed. You see, oppressors like Laban and like Pharaoh, they believe that they can, because they control some aspect of our circumstances, they control us. But as we will see, it is God, not man, that is in control. God says, man does not own you. Your circumstances don't own you. I own you. You are my possession, and I can even raise the dead, so set your hope on me. Isaiah 41 says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Righteous right hand that is strong for you. God loves to do the impossible, so hold on. That leads to movement number three, the salvation. Now, the next part of this story It is quite bizarre. I mean, Jacob gets some sticks. He peels uh, parts of the bark to make stripes, and then he puts them by watering troughs so that when these flocks are mating, somehow there's this vivid pattern that they see, and during pregnancy it changes the embryo of the animal. And you're just like, what? I'm going, what? I mean, before we roll our eyes, though, Uh, Let me just remind you of a few things that you might, if you think back on it, you might go, huh, that's a weird superstition. Things like, what do we do? Knock on wood, right? Or uh, don't walk under a ladder, or don't let a black cat cross in front of you, or maybe some pregnancy superstitions. uh, If the baby's low, it must be a boy. 
baby's high, it must be a girl, right? Here's some other pregnancy superstitions that I thought you might find interesting as well. There's one that says if you eat a rabbit while conceiving, your child will be born cross-eyed. Just thought that was kind of an interesting one. That's one of our Native American tribes. We can go to Quincy, see if that works. No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, here's another one. If you go to the zoo, whatever animal that's, uh, that's pre- uh, that, that a pregnant mom sees, uh, the newborn will show some of those aspects uh, features. That's pretty interesting as well. There's some bizarre stories that are out there. And as we know, obviously there's no scientific evidence that any of this stuff actually works, that it, it takes place. So why did Moses include this in the story? Some say it's to teach us something about the culture. Others peop- other people say it's to, to show us something about the herding practices. Other people that say it's about religious superstition. Other people say that it's, see the Bible. It's a really foolish book that's not backed up by science. Here's what I think. I think Moses wants us to see that Jacob is absolutely desperate. I mean, put yourself in his shoes. If you are in a place of desperation, you're going to do anything, right? I mean, I wish I could say that Jacob trusted in God perfectly, but he doesn't. I mean, he's trying to cover his bases to secure the promises of God. He hears about this superstition, and so he puts it into practice. He is a walking contradiction. He trusts God, but he doesn't trust God. You ever been in that place, right? I believe, but help my unbelief. I, I want to obey, but you struggle to obey. Well, here's what's amazing. In this story, the practice actually works. I mean, once Jacob starts getting some of these goats and these sheep that are spotted and speckled, he separates them from the others. And then he performs this sort of selective breeding thing where he, he takes the stronger, healthier sheep and he, he breeds them with these these goats that are spotted and speckled. And eventually Jacob, over time, has a herd of sheep and goats that are strong, while Laban's flocks become weaker and weaker. And verse 43 concludes with this. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. The end, right? Now, how did this happen? Was it, was it really just Jacob's ingenuity? Was it his striped sticks and his special mating practices that were the reason for his increase? Well, I love the fact that God doesn't leave this open to interpretation. If you flip over with me to the next chapter, which we're going to look at in more detail next week, Jacob describes what happened to his wives, Rachel and Leah. And starting in verse 6, it says, You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me. And changed my wages 10 times, but God did not permit him to harm me. Love that. God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Later he says, the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the flocks that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. See, when we might feel that God is silent, he's not silent. He is speaking, and we have him speaking to us through his word. We have him speaking to us through his spirit. God is near 
He speaks to Jacob. He appears to him and he reveals to him what's really going on. Jacob, you think it's those crazy practices? No, it is me speaking, saying I will make those flocks, Jacob's flocks, not Laban's. God says, I am your helper. I will not delay. I will come through for you. I will always keep my promises. And I'm sure Jacob had lots of doubts over 20 years, but God never had any doubts. He's always kept his promises. You see, praise God that his provision is not dependent on our perfect faith. Amen? Amen. I want us to think for a moment about God and what he might have been up to in this place. See, if God had blessed Jacob by saying, Uh, by Laban saying to him, hey, you know, it's been 14 years. You've worked really hard. Hey, you deserve some wages. Go in peace. And that would have probably taught Jacob some some things about hard work and and waiting and that sort of thing. But it wouldn't have shown him the fact that God does the impossible. Instead, God blesses Jacob through a conniving shyster in his own servant's superstitious ways to remind us that it is God who is good. That his blessing comes not because Jacob is good, but because God is. Not because Jacob is faithful, because God is faithful. Not because Jacob was a man of his word, but because God always keeps his word. I don't want to minimize the the pain and the conflict. In fact, we're going to see more of this next week. But it's in our darkest days that God shines the brightest. See, God in his kindness and his grace, he backpays the wages that Laban had withheld from Jacob for 20 years. Amazing grace. Now, the Israelites, they would have been familiar with this salvation story. You see, in Egypt, the people had languished for 400 years in slavery without pay, thinking that all of their prayers had landed on deaf ears and that God had forgotten them. But after an amazing display of power and plagues, God tells the Israelites, go get your paycheck. Get your wages that you have worked for. And Exodus 12 records for us, the Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. And, on the, and the Lord gave the people such favor in the sight of the Egyptians that they granted their request. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. Four Oaks, God plundered the Egyptians. God plundered Laban. And God will plunder all of our oppressors. You're probably asking, well, Scott, how will this look? I mean, when will this happen? How long must I wait? I mean, when do I get to expect my back pay? And I wish I could tell you, I know exactly when. I know exactly how it's going to look. But I don't. But I do know this. If you are bound by fear... If you feel stuck in your circumstances, if you feel held captive by your sin and your suffering and your pain, let me just encourage you towards three things very briefly. The first thing is this cry out. Cry out. Bring your hearts to God. The Psalms are filled with with people crying out to God, asking Him for help. 
Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Use the Psalms as a guide to cry out to him. Pray to him. Bring all of your burdens to him. Cry out. Ask for help. Your prayers will not fall on deaf ears. He hears you. He knows you. He sees you. He remembers you. He will come through for you. Cry out. Second, reach out. If you're in a real bad place, don't think to yourself, oh, it's just up to me and God. That's, that's all it is. It's just, it's just the two of us. No, reach out to the body of Christ. That's what we're here for. Reach out to your family. Reach out to your friends. Reach out to your community group. Reach out. If you have financial issues, reach out to our benevolence team. If you have, if you have relational issues, if you have healing issues, reach out to us as pastors and elders. Let us know how we can come alongside for you and pray with you and, and pray for you. Reach out. Don't think that it's up to you to handle everything. Galatians 6 says that when we carry one another's burdens, we so fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is love. God loves you and his people love you. Cry out, reach out, and then last but not least, hold out. Hold out hope. Wait for the Lord. He will come through for you. God is making all things new. He restores all brokenness. He heals all diseases. And he does this at the cross. Think about the amazing display of love by Jesus. Through death, we have life. Through his poverty, we become rich. Through his weakness, we become strong. Through his lowliness, we are brought high. Through his sin, we are made righteous. See, I believe in a prosperity gospel. But not for those who have enough faith to to name it and to claim it. Not for those who limit prosperity to cars and houses and jets. In fact, that is cheap prosperity. Now, the prosperity gospel that I believe in comes to people with imperfect faith, with deformed faith, even with with those who have, have faith that are on life support, but you're crying out to God. You're asking God for help. You're saying, God, don't delay. And this prosperity that you're holding out hope for, it's not simply a nicer car or a bigger house or healing for all of our physical pain or our relational pain or our job pain, all of that to be taken away, although some of those things do happen in the here and now. We praise God for that. No, but the true prosperity of the gospel that I'm talking about is eternal riches in glory, joy, peace, security through our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is coming one day And he will say to his people, I have come with more blessing than you can imagine. A reward for trusting in me and seeking to build my kingdom. I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eye. I'm going to destroy all your enemies. I'm going to obliterate Satan's sin and death. And I have prepared a home in heaven for you. Filled with all your dreams come true. Filled with perfect relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ and filled, most importantly, with me, where I'll see you face to face.
See, I believe that when Jesus comes, he will tell all of us, he will say, go get your paycheck. The paycheck that I purchased with my death and resurrection that's now been given to you by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Enter into the joy of your master, not Master Laban, not Master Pharaoh, my master, my Lord, my Savior, Jesus Christ, who says, at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is our help. He will not delay. He will come through for you and for me, and in some ways right now, but in other ways, dreams that we can't even imagine will come to fruition in the future when we see Jesus face to face. And so don't hold your faith thinking that it's up to you. Instead, hold out for the Lord, knowing that he will come through He will not delay. As a guide for our prayer, let me just read to you a couple of verses from Psalm 121. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Four oaks. May God be your help and may he be my help in our time of trouble. Let's pray. Oh God, whatever is weighing us down right now, whatever is causing us to fret, to fear, to to frustration, to anger, to disappointment, even to despair, I pray that you would remove those things. But even more so that you would bring us into your presence that we would see you, that we would experience you, that we would know that you are for us, that you are with us, that you love us, and that we are your most prized possession. Satan does not have the last word. No, you have the last word, and you say, these are my children. I love them. I died for them and I rose from the dead to conquer Satan, sin, and death and to assure them that there is life forevermore with me. And all God's people said, amen.
Thank you for joining us once again this morning. Uh, If you are in one of those spots where you're feeling really helpless, know that you're not alone, that God is with you, and know that we are for you and with you as well. You can go to the 
connect form and, and fill that out and let us know how we might be able to serve you. You can also go to the hub. There's a few different ways that you can ask for more specific help there, things like benevolence or prayer. We would love to help you in any way we can. Um, in addition, we invite you to help others this Thursday when we're serving our community through Second Harvest. And last but not least, let me just read to you a, a good word from Psalm 130. We read the first part of this psalm at the beginning, and I want to read to you the last part of this psalm as a benediction over you and over me. It starts by verse 5 saying, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O four oaks, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem us from all our iniquities. You are dismissed.